Identical Cousins, Episode 2. We don't have a title yet. But we promise to come up with one eventually. Hey, Brent. How's it going? Um, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Michael? Doing pretty good. Got a lot of stuff going on. It's been a kind of crazy week. I assume the same of you. Every week is crazy. This week is this week is super crazy, of course, because there's the Democratic National Convention. And as a politics junkie, that means I'm spending an awful lot of time um, watching TV. Oh, yeah. And but I still have a lot. Yeah, but politics. I still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just like last week, actually. Um, I, I may uh, I may be a Democrat, but I still have to watch every damn second of the Republican National Convention. So you can have fodder against the Republicans, right? You always have well, to watch your enemies, keep your enemies close. I, I, you know, I find the entire thing, I find the entire thing fascinating. Yes. You know, so. And everyone's looking for every opportunity to go against each other, which is even mm-hmm. better. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Bill Clinton's speech last night was fantastic. Yeah. I no matter really what you think of Bill Clinton, tonight. no matter what anyone says, he gives a speech. I mean, he just, he just, oh, he, he's, he. There's no. If anyone denies that he's a good speech giver, they're just full of you know what. Yeah, they're just being jerks. I mean, you know, it's definitely. Just yeah, it's like just being haters. Yeah, totally. Yep. So, all right. Well, I guess we'll kind of we didn't introduce ourselves last week, so I assume we should just get into some introductions. I don't think we need to introduce ourselves necessarily every time, but at least let's you know tell everyone who we are, what we do, and what we uh, are about. Um, I'll let you go first, actually, since sure. B comes before M. Oh, okay, right. BM. That doesn't. That doesn't sound. Like I thought it. of that as it was. As, oh no! Yeah, never right. mind. I don't even. Well, want to know and that. I'm Blues. saddled with the unfortunate initials BS. So. Oh. Anyway, uh-huh. I'm I'm Brent Simmons. I write an app called Glassboard, which is uh, a tool for communicating privately with groups of people, different groups of people. It's all private. That's and I might be I biased, but I'd like to chime in and say it's a fantastic app, and it really, really solves an amazingly difficult problem well. Thank you. Uh, the the biggest news in uh, the Glassboard world lately is that we're actually now charging uh, for premium features. Uh, the product, the you know the standard level, is still free, so it's easy to get into if you're interested. Well, in years you use- past, uh, I wrote Net Newswire, started Mars Edit, another app called Taplinks, um, and years and years before that, I used to work at Useland Software on Frontier. Very cool. And I was going to say about charging for software. If someone wants to use your software and they believe in it, then they should be paying you to support it so it doesn't go away. That's that's an excellent point. Yep. So, yeah, I I don't come free. (laughs) (laughs) Nor would we want you to come free. No, of course not. So uh, any anything else? uh, Any anything else about your uh, I'm sure you can go on forever. But anything else about yourself or stuff you're interested in or I don't know anything random? Well, long, long walks we, on the beach. I think we're on day forty-five of no rain in Seattle, and it really, really needs to rain. Is that historical yeah. or something? That sounds crazy. Um, the crazy record talk. is the record is like fifty-one, something like that. Um, so we're getting close. Six now, our days away are, from world record no rain in Seattle, everyone. Yeah, we Calm are. Down. By the time this podcast actually airs and we have it edited up and have it posted, <laughs> we could have broke the record, folks. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Now we do tend to have dry summers. Nobody believes me, but it's it's true. But this is a long, long time, and um, you know everything's growing here. There's there's pollen everywhere. People drive cars. People have bonfires. The air needs a bit of a cleaning up. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, we need some rain. For a Seattleite to say we need rain, you really need rain. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. All right. Well, very cool. Um, I'll go kind of quick. I'm Michael Simmons. My company's Flexibits. My app is Fantastical, which is a calendar app for the Mac. And um, I really love software from the angle of solving problems. I think as a software developer, whether you're a programmer, a designer, a business person, whatever, if you're involved in the production of software, you should be solving a problem, making it infinitely easier on the user and something that really the user delights in using. And that's, that's me in a nutshell. And that's what Fantastical is. It's a, it's a great app. Um, Thanks. I hope you're super proud of it because you should be. I, I, I am proud of it. It's one of those situations where, for me, I wanted an app that did this, and the fact that other people see the fact that it's so useful to them by the feedback that we get, that really makes me happy because it means that I'm solving a problem. Yep. So uh, let's get into the news segment where we'll just chat about whatever's going on or not going on. I assume we could talk about the politics, but that would probably make for a really long podcast. <laughs> yeah. So let's just gloss right over the politics, shall we? <laughs> we can try. All right. Well, I'm sure it'll get worked in somewhere, but we'll try. So like today, the news that just came out, at least on the day we're recording, Amazon announced some new Kindle stuff. That's kind of interesting, actually. You know, I haven't caught up on the news yet today. Tell me about what's interesting in the Kindle stuff. Okay. It's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it is pretty recent and I know you had a busy morning. So um, mm. basically they introduced a new uh, Kindle uh, a new Kindle Fire HD that's more of a direct competition to the iPad, let's say, than their existing one. This is like a retina display? Yeah, so basically, and I'm kind of, you know, I'd only seen bits and pieces, so I'm kind of trying to figure it out. But basically, it's a Kindle Fire HD. It's a 4G LTE product. That's a lot of acronyms. A lot of acronyms. Uh, well, they also have this MIMO, which I think was multiple, now lost. multiple in, multiple out. Like, I had to, like, look that up. And I'm thinking to myself... If I'm in the tech sphere and I have to look something up, what the heck are you doing giving this to customers and not <laughs> no like just saying fast speed or, or multi-speed or multi-channel, whatever, you know, come up with something that at least describes what it does, right? It sounds like a swingers party from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And well, maybe they think that'll sell Kindle Fire HD for GLTs. Yeah, why not? And um, But this was the part that actually I'm like, wow. And I'm thinking to myself, they must be subsidizing it, but still, it's, it's intriguing. So the data plan on this is going to be $50 a year for 250 megabytes. For 250 megabytes for the entire year? Well, I, 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 you get 250 megabytes, I'm sorry, per month. Oh, okay, per So month. it's basically like 20 gigs a year. Mm-hmm. So $50 a year, right, breaks down to you know, 50 divided by 12. Why can't I do the math in my head? But anyway, about $4 a month, right? Mm-hmm. For 250, 250 gigabyte, 250 megabytes a month. 250 megabytes doesn't sound like a lot to me. It doesn't, but I think for the kind of things, well, although this is probably the functionality of a Kindle Fire, but is, is for the type of stuff you're doing, which is browsing books and doing minor stuff, it's probably more than enough. Mm-hmm. And $4 but it's not going to become your multimedia no, that's machine. That's true. Or at least not, well, it has Wi-Fi too, I assume. It does have Wi-Fi, and that's part okay. of that MIMO thing. Um, basically, what the MIMO thing, just to uh, sol- or solve what it means, there's two antennas. And basically, what it is has multiple inputs and multiple outputs. So they're saying that it's 41% faster Wi-Fi than the latest iPad. Okay. Um, I mean, sure. Like, 
you know, last time I checked, I didn't really have a problem with Wi-Fi speed, but you know, it's it's all good. Yeah, they're pushing. I, I, they're pushing I stuff. think the real defining problem is uh, the speed tuned from my house, not the Wi-Fi speed internally. Exactly. Um, but anyway, just, you know, long story short, because there's a lot of. I mean, they actually did. I have to say, they did a great job uh, in terms of like doing a product launch. Mm-hmm. There were good demos. They actually gave ship dates with prices. You know, it, it was a legitimate product launch event, and they did a good job there. Um, but as I see it, and I'm not trying to be a hater because believe me, I love new products and I want to see new and innovative things. It's just kind of like, okay, it's a new tablet. It has some cool things. They added dual stereo speakers instead of one. I mean, you know, it's, it's just improvements. Uh, to me, it's, you know, minor improvements, but it's another option. It's an alternative and it looks like it'll, it'll be at least somewhat of a decent tablet. You know, that same style of criticism could of course be, um, leveled at Apple quite frequently and, oh, and yeah. often is, I think, you know, it's a new version of the iPad and, Oh, what's different? Oh, slightly thinner. It's got a camera now, whatever. It's just improvements or, Oh, now it's retina, but otherwise same thing. Who cares? That's true. It's, you know, not changing the world dramatically. And if they're doing that, that same kind of approach where it just keeps getting better every time, that's probably not so bad. No, it's not. I, for me, like when Apple comes out with a new product, I don't expect them to do big changes. It's just that's not how Apple rolls. Mm-hmm. But you do expect them to see hopefully more speed, better screen, this and that. But I think what's interesting is, is obviously iPad is dominating the tablet space, right? Right. So Apple doesn't really even necessarily, and this has always been Apple's approach, they don't have to make major changes. There's nothing to change. It's, it's working. Mm-hmm, um, right. Where yeah, sure. when I see when I see a product like the Kindle Fire or one of the Android tablets or whatever, I'm always impressed. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Oh, they added this. Oh, there's improvements there. But until they make a major change, whether it be a whole new OS or something that just changes the game, um, and I hate to kind of be cliche, but like then the game's not changing. That's a good point. So you're saying that Apple, from its position, can just incrementally improve, while everybody else needs to do something dramatic and awesome. Otherwise. I think so because it's I, not even the tablet space. It's no, it's exactly. the iPad space. It's the whole iOS space, even the iPhone space too, right? The phone, yeah. and the whole the whole mobile mobile and portable device. But yeah, I, I think even when Apple wasn't at the top, right? When it was the Mac days before the iPhone, iPod, all that stuff came along, Apple still was very conservative in its updates. In, yeah, mm-hmm. they were always conservative as a company in terms of not, hey, look, it's a whole brand new model, and da da da. You know, they they have their like four or five years of updates to a model, and then they come out with the new one. It's almost like the car companies, right? Yeah, brand new model comes out, and then you just do incremental updates and polish and little minor things for four or five years to take the R and D costs and everything to a profitable level. But yeah, I, I mean, I just one of the things that just struck stuck out to me with the Amazon thing is they really did a good job in terms of being clear concise and not really smoke and mirroring up hey this is coming or this is something we're working you know it was a product launch and i i definitely respect that i would really like to see microsoft learn this better yeah speaking of microsoft actually so we can change to another news topic did you see the microsoft head-to-head browser thing no so microsoft actually did a thing today i have to see if i can find it i had seen it earlier okay yeah it's called bing it on Go to Bing, <laughs> yeah, bingiton.com. And basically, uh-huh. it's sort of like, remember the whole Pepsi challenge from the 80s? Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a side-by-side search off between Bing and Google. And you go to bingiton.com, and you can do a search. 
And it, it's actually like a, a comparison side-by-side -side search off. And I like that. I mean, there's a lot of chutzpah between, uh, a lot of chutzpah from, from Microsoft and Bing um, for doing this. And obviously it's great marketing and it is really trying to put your money where your search is. Yeah, absolutely. Or your search where your mouth is. I don't know. So, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, no, anyway, again. That, 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 chutzpah. Ah, you do that so well. <laughs> it's part of the East Coast Simmonses. Wait, you're uh, actually originally an East Coast Simmons as well, aren't you? Yeah, but I'm from, you know, the heathen side. The heathen side. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> some of us have to shake things up and disrupt. <laughs> so anyway, the Bing It On thing, pretty cool, right? I mean, it's it's definitely for me a, a I, I like it. It's good marketing. Mm-hmm. And um, is there anything else that's kind of on the ticker? Actually, I'll mention um, uh, next week since it's coming up next week, although uh, by the time our um, – well, it'll be going on by the time we post this on Tuesday. Uh, I will be in Denver speaking at 360 iDev, although I think you're there as well, yeah? Uh, I'm not, actually. This is oh, the you're first not. 360 iDev I will have missed. I've oh. spoken at every single one, but uh, won't be I will there be this time. I will be sad without you. Sadly. Then. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll be in Denver at 360 iDev. Um, if you're there, come by and say hi. Um, you won't be, so you can just call me or message me. You do <laughs> sure. And um, so that's uh, from, my, from my news of what's going on, that's mine. Anything on your end that you saw that was interesting or exciting in the past week or so? Uh, let's see. Well, it's somewhat older news now, but the, the Apple victory over Samsung was quite a big story. Oh, yeah, of course. Ago. Of course. And I, I think... It reminds me, you mentioned a few minutes ago about Apple being a, um, very conservative. And even though their reputation is of, you know, the uh, the hippie company whose founder took acid and was into meditation and stuff, <laughs> Apple is a profoundly conservative company. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that I think very conservative companies do is try to have incredible legal departments. And of all the greatness of all of Apple's products, sometimes I think Apple Legal may be the most formidable of everything Apple has ever created. Mm, I agree. Apple Legal is, it's impressive, and I never want to be on their bad side. Ever, a behemoth ever, and ever. a juggernaut, right? Yes, yes, indeed. And yeah. really, really, really smart. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I would agree with you. And. It's true. Apple, as the company and the products and what you see on the level of the products, it's like, oh, yeah, they're this great company and da -da -da, founded in coolness and whatever. And there's they're this. But it's true on the corporate end of things. They are about as conservative, hardlined, and we're going to do whatever it takes until we win, you know, old almost like an old fashioned company. Right. Almost like one of those old banks that's like, you know, don't screw with us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They really have that. They, they definitely have that underlying, like, yeah, 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 totally. I mean, just, it, it's true. It's like when you think about them, you almost do think about them as one of, uh, from the inner side anyway, like there's one of these evil old companies that will stop at nothing to win. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we'll also, at the same time, take the long view rather than the short-term quarterly profits view. Oh, definitely. You know, they want to build a business that's going to last 100 years, like those old banks used to. Oh, absolutely. And they recognize well, look at the, their responsibility, uh, their real responsibility to their shareholders. Well, perfect so example on. of that is the original iPod, right? When the original iPod came out back in 2001, I remember this well because I was at Apple at the time, they, they did Mac only, right? Mac only with Firewire in the first launch. And it's like, what? You really? You think you're going to have a successful product launching to Mac users only, especially when Mac was small at that time, right? Yeah. But that's as conservative, that's, that's an example that perfectly exemplifies how conservative they are. 
mm-hmm. because they 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 want they didn't want a huge launch, right? It would be the wor- the worst thing you can do is have a launch that's so big that you can't handle it, so you don't have stock and you have bad bugs or things don't work or people have bad conceptions and stuff like that, right? Yes. So Apple has always been about slow and steady, and that's how they got here. And I've even had people say, "How did they get so big so quick?" And it's like if you actually track back, let's say going back to two thousand one with the iPod, it wasn't that quick, right? It was eleven years to here to today. Yeah, yeah, indeed, that's, that's right. Slow and steady wins the race, I I think, and I think Apple obviously thinks that too. Yeah, it's fascinating watching. Uh, I think it was on uh, a Simco showing how each iPhone outsells all the iPhone models before it combined. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I've seen that chart, and I, I've actually talked with Horace about that. It is. It's uh-huh. fascinating. It's truly fascinating. It, one of the interesting parts, though, is that my perception of that, of course is skewed it seems like one day there were no iphones and then the next day everybody had one um, i agree because of course all my friends are developers um, they had know, to it have doesn't one. seem like you know just in my own life that it grew you know so much with each model it seemed like you know right one you day saw that you saw you saw you're right is that you just saw it happen because everyone had one because you know developers right right but the actual true story of the growth is 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 impressive is amazing oh, yeah. if we weren't developers and we were just like non-apple people we'll call it and we just like looked around the world around us you're right it would be a much different story about oh all of a sudden bobby's got one and then joe's got one and sheila's got one and so on and so forth right mm-hmm. and you probably yeah. would have seen the adoption of it you know i kind of e- even though i um don't go to denver often you know my company was acquired by newsgator in 2005. Right. And that was an all Windows shop completely. And this was before there were iPhones. There were iPods. So there may have been a few few iPods owned by people in the company. But there were no Macs except for mine. And now if you go, hey, there are, you know, people have Macs, lots of iPhones and iPads. Uh, It's it's changed dramatically. You know, and this was one of the you know, just most dedicated Microsoft places that there could be, which wasn't all that uncommon back in those days. No, 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 no. The trend is definitely changing towards Mac uh, becoming more prevalent in the workplace, especially yeah. as Parallels and Fusion and apps like that become bigger, right? As, or yeah. better, I should say, and, and actually work. And I mean, we're at a point now where obviously Fusion and Parallels work really well. They just work. Yeah, they're super. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, actually, when you were talking about uh, NewsGator and the whole adoption thing. I actually was just thinking, like, you know when messages came out for iOS 5 and you could do iMessages, obviously, and then you don't have to pay text charges for that, right? Yep. Well, before that happened, there was an app called Texty, and it was actually written by Lauren Brichter, who, -hmm. of course, did Tweety. And I use that app all the time. It was actually amazing because you could send text messages without paying fees. It used the data service, and they ran a great service, and they were trying to grow it. And then, sadly, iMessage came along and kind of killed that business model. But I remember at the time when I had Texty, like I, I wanted friends who had iPhones because they didn't have an Android version. They eventually shipped an Android version. But I remember like you needed to have another person having Texty, right? Yeah. And then, of course, iMessage came out. And then, you know, when people had iMessage, it's like, well, who else has an iPhone? Because I want to be able to send iMessages. You know, you see the blue versus the green. Mm-hmm. And I've totally noticed in the last year since iOS 5 has been out that you start seeing a lot more blue than green now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always had a lot of blue because I have a lot of developer friends, obviously. But mm-hmm. my my regular friends who aren't developers or that don't have you know neighbors that that aren't into technology as much as we are, or Apple or whatever. You just it was just interesting to see 
when I had texty, hey, no one else really has that. And then, you know, you'd suggest friends to download it who had iPhones. But it didn't, it, you know, it was again, they had to have iPhones. Then once iMessage came out, you just saw the adoption rate, at least I did, of people who had iMessage with iOS 5 really come on quickly. Yeah, that was very fast. Yep. Yeah, right? And yeah, just, so it, much that seeing green is pretty rare. Yeah, like, and, and that's the thing. You could think back at these little things. I think iMessage is probably an easy way to tell if someone has an iPhone because you see blue, right? Well, yeah. Although I guess mm. you know they could have iOS 4, but why wouldn't you update to 5 when it's free? Right, exactly. Yeah. And as we know, the adoption rate of, of people upgrading to iOS 5 is really high. Apple's Surprisingly done a smart high. thing They've done in a great terms of upgrades for apps and everything, too. It's, it's almost like you can't avoid it. Exactly. And with iOS 5 now having the on-phone updating, right, the Delta updating over the air... It's it's more or less impossible to update now, obviously, to get to six and beyond, right? They've kind of made it now, built, even if you forget to plug in and sync, oh, guess what? You can do it right from the phone. You're still going to update. Yep. That's right. So I assume the adoption rate of iOS 6 will be pretty quick and big. I think so. Yeah. Well, that's good. So um, I guess without further ado, we'll go into today's topic, which is user experience. And uh, obviously, we could do many, 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 many shows on this topic. Would you agree? It could, yeah, we could do a show a day um, from now <laughs> till the end of time. I would agree. Mm-hmm. So what we talked about, obviously, was just talking about user experience, maybe giving a story or two, and just maybe sharing with the listeners what user experience is about, what we see it about, maybe even problems that solve. So I guess I'll kick it over to you in terms of maybe if you want to talk about, and then I'll, I'll you can kick it back over to me whenever you want. You can just kick right over to me if, now if you want, but... What do you think about user experience? What's a problem you've had? Something that kind of exemplifies just how user experience, at least for me, I know you agree with me, but I still want to throw it out there in case you don't, is really the top most important thing in an app for it to be successful. Yeah, there's not there's nothing more important. Um, because your user experience means so much. It's not just, oh, does it look good? Is it easy to figure out? Uh, but also, does it solve an actual real problem? Uh, Right. Does it perform well? Is it fast? Um, yeah, there's a lot more to it than just pretty pixels or, or layout or whatever. Okay, it's, so actually there's something the good you thing. can do. So let's say we have some listeners who don't really, like, you have to get that, right? You have to know that it's more than just design. You have to know that it's just more than that. What, what are some examples or something that you've noticed with user experience that even comes down to pricing or downloading or licensing? How... how how does user experience affect the app more than just even the user interface? How is it part of the purchase process or even the download trial process? I'm trying to remember the old days when we used to have such a thing as trials. <laughs> um, well, you can even you know, have like a free app like Glassboard, right? more around the, the purchasing thing. And I, I think it was Rogue Amoeba, though I'm not positive, but I think it was Rogue Amoeba. The first time where I saw one of those um, great screens in a Mac app where when you've actually bought a license, there's this like really cool um, certificate-looking thing. Yep, that was Rogue like, you know, Yep, that was Rogue Amoeba. You get, you get like a Only official better. certificate. Yes. Yeah. Have you seen those? And it's just oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. when you actually put in your code, um, which hopefully actually all you did was click a link in an email or something. Uh, you know, it just feels good and and nice and and that that's. A bit of user experience they don't have to do, right? Because by definition, you've just paid for the product. They don't you know need who to make does you that? feel gotta, happier gotta, at that point, but they go out of the Gus way and they that do too. that. And I think that's phenomenal. It pays off, I think, in the long run. Definitely. I got Gus uh, Flying Meat does that as well. You get a certificate of registration when you buy mm-hmm. it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you're a, right. You're right. That's, and that's a tangibility. It's hard to remember because these apps, I went through this process so long ago. But yeah, I, I think I saw that in a corn and voodoo pad. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And yeah, you're right. That that's a part again. There's a small little detail that someone might say, "Oh, that's so silly." I just wanted to register. Who cares? But mm-hmm. you can visually see this certificate of registration and know this thing's licensed. It's licensed to me, and it's mine, and I own it. Yeah, that's right. And and you and you know it's it's attractive it's nice it's like maybe even a little humorous kind of because you know really a, an entire certificate of registration you know <laughs> um but it's cool and it makes you feel good it makes you feel uh more well disposed toward those developers too so they come out with something else you you might you know have in the back of your mind oh i like apps made by so and so and you won't think oh because I love that certificate of registration or whatever, but that's just one of many details that are that are put in that that delight people. All right, and so it, and since, it's since you, an experience you have only once with a given app, right? The, the that's day right. You that's put right. in the code, and yet still all this attention has has been paid to it, and that's just a wonderful thing. Absolutely no, no, love it. Totally, totally, and you get it, and that's oh, perfect. So. This is exactly why we're talking about this. So you see this little detail as something that the user may never really even care about, right? You may have 80% of the users just saying, this is stupid or I don't care, right? Mm-hmm. But it still made some impact on them because it was a nice detail, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I always see in my development, I'm sure you see it too, is it's very easy to put things in that people won't care about, but you still want to put them in because you know it'll make the experience better, right? Yes. So you can spend a lot of time on putting something in that maybe even 80% of the people won't care about, but you care about it because you know it'll make a better user experience. None of your users are saying, hey, I wish you know you could give me like a real cool looking certificate of registration. I mean, right. that's not a feature request anyone's that's likely right. to ever give, but you do it anyway. That's right. And the reason why you do it is you want a better user experience. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah, that's really good. So in, in your app, like with Glassboard, is there something specific user experience-wise that you'd want to talk about that was a decision that maybe took more time than you wanted, but you knew it was the right thing to do? Maybe I know you have the code system for signing up for Glassboards. And actually, for those who haven't tried out Glassboard, like I said earlier, it's amazing. you got to go check it out right now. Um, do you want to maybe just talk about like maybe just something user experience wise that you're really excited about that made the user experience so much better, but was something that took you a lot of time to do. I, I think in the case of Glassport, a lot of what that is, is, is actually under the, under the hood programming that you, it doesn't necessarily change what it looks like, but it changes how it feels. I've spent, um, I've been working on this app for a year and a half and I've spent massive amount of time working on performance because it actually has, um, um, if you're on a lot of boards, you've got a lot of data and a lot of uh, interrelated data. And, and on top of that, it deals a ton with pictures because you can share pictures and videos too. Right. And of course, there are avatars for everybody. Every board has its own picture. So it's, it's got an awful lot of, well, just memory and image rendering and downloading and everything that has to be used or uh, or that has to happen and in order to make that feel at all fast has taken a, a ton a ton of work uh, a lot of time spent profiling uh, a lot of time re-architecting um, 
it was a joke inside the company for a while. Uh, Nick Bradbury was in the same boat with the Android version. Uh, we'd both joke about, oh, yep, got to completely redo the image caching system again, you know, because um, <laughs> we were both just trying to make sure this thing is as fast as it possibly could be. Dialed in. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things is, you know, you don't have to use Glassboard, right? You know, That's no right. one's, no one's going to make you use it. But if the app feels like a chore because stuff takes half a second longer than than it should then you're not really going to come back to it so we worked on things like you know launch time and you know how long it takes for images to download and appear and uh, all this all this kind of stuff just maniacally in order to make it an app that you're not we don't want you to hesitate to come back to it you know we want you to totally because if if it's slow yeah you're just gonna go "Eh, it's too heavy i don't want to touch it you know and that's how that's how you lose it. That's how you know apps get killed. So, so I think it's really important for user experience because what you just talked about was something that's not tangible. And one of the things I like to always think about with user experience, especially I'm more of the design side, obviously doing the user interface and doing the whole interaction layer. But I think it's so important that the app doesn't let's even call it surprise and delight in a negative way, right? Or I guess you'd call it surprise and offend or something. Yeah, right, yeah. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't take the time to make the imaging and, the like you said, with the videos and the code, if the app isn't already smooth and silky, you've already let the user down or given them cause for concern or frustration, right? Indeed, totally, yeah. Now you've lost the bet already that even if your app is amazingly beautiful or does something cool, they're already frustrated, Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that developers spend all this time, at least the good ones, to get the apps good and silky smooth and all that. And it's really never seen by the user. In fact, it's like that old expression, you know, you could do a million things right. And once you do something wrong, it erases the million rights. And sure, it's yeah. true. It's like you, you're, you're expected minimally to have the app running amazing, which of course is a ton of work. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that down, then you don't have the user experience down. And even if it's something the user will never see, they'll see it when it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's I think it's really important as a developer to start thinking about the fact is your app better just really run and be amazing in the engine. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not, you're already at a disadvantage. You've already caused concern so. to your users, right? You know, I think a, a, a really really good example of this was. Um, um, Back to Lauren Brichter again. When Tweety came out, yeah. the the trend in iPhone app design was already at that time toward uh, very custom interfaces and you know richer, uh, almost baroque sometimes um, graphics and stuff. And Tweety was pretty pretty much like a standard iPhone app. It wasn't really, but it looked it looked like it, right? It even used Native. you know the Native. standard colors in the navigation bar, which nobody else was still doing. That's right. It was native. It was native. It looked like an app that 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 Apple would have made. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now there well, there really was some clever UI stuff, but you wouldn't, oh, a ton. You wouldn't necessarily know it. But what he did was he made it he made it fast. He made yeah, the exactly. Um, you know the engine was was just fantastic, and it was fast and easy, and yeah, that was that was so great. And I think that explains a lot about the success of that app. Yeah, Lauren spent more time optimizing the scroll view 
and getting the feel of the app that, you know, obviously when you tapped on a tweet or you scrolled or you went slow or fast, whatever, right? You know, because mm-hmm. you want to zip through tweets. That was like his entire time suck on that app with the scroll views and getting everything to respond instantly. Yeah. And, and this credited, was, you know, on iPhones a few generations back, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, that when, was, when, I remember the, those days. That was some hard, hard programming. Absolutely. The SDK didn't do anything in that type mm-hmm. of sphere. Yep. It was it was all custom views and yeah he but he realized that if it didn't have that kind of feel well first of all he wanted it for himself right he made the app for himself mm-hmm. and I always say this the best apps usually are the apps that developers make for themselves because if it's good enough for them then it's probably good enough for everyone else sure yeah and yeah no that that's, that was a great example because it's true he spent all this time on something that basically was just scrolling scrolling the view mm-hmm. but everyone caught on to that app loved it respected it and used it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a detail that users wouldn't necessarily say, hey, I want it to scroll fast. Yeah. But a user would never say, yeah, I don't mind if it scrolls slow. Go ahead, make it scroll slow. I don't care. It's yeah, good I don't mind the right? jerkiness. Uh, you exactly. Know, yeah, that's fine. Well, I find it yeah. funny. There are you developers. never hear that. Oh, I wish it were prettier. I would trade off performance for prettiness or something. Yeah, could you throw in an extra couple features of Fantastical, but if it slows down the adding of my events, I don't care. Just throw them in, right? Yeah, like, no, right. no one yeah. ever wants any... No one wants to take something away for something else. But I think there's a lot of developers out there, and I'm sure you've seen the apps, that really do have horrible performance issues and really do have clunky reaction to the user inter- in- in- input. Yeah, and it drives me crazy. And, it, it, well, and yeah, when, yeah. I see, uh, when I see it happen in my own app, you know, under you know, a certain load or a certain circumstance or something, you know, when something is, is slow, because I'm using my app all day, every day, right? Right. Um, it just drives me crazy and I can't stop, you know, I have to, performance is never a thing that you stop working on. No, no, you never. You keep and at it always. Yeah. And that's why you and I get user experience because we realize that you want to have the app to be the best it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to sleep knowing that it's not. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so we're working on a new app now, which we haven't announced yet. So I will just say we're working on a new app. It's um, a web browser. No, it's an email client. Maybe it's both. Okay. It's an internet communicator. Oh, how nice. It, and a web client and an email oh. client or web browser and an email client. It's all, it's all three. Flexivix communicator. Flexophone. Flexophone. <laughs> Flexophone. So we, we're, we're obviously tweaking and doing performance stuff now. And like there's these little details that we're tweaking in terms of uh, just, just the interaction, I'll, I'll say, so I don't give away too much. But my point is, is, these are things that like I know I'm obsessing over and I know they're really hard and my business partner can't, you know, we're going back and forth on tweaking this, but he gets it just like you and I do. So we're doing it right. Mm-hmm. But it is so hard and difficult to get this stuff right. Like, you know, this better than anyone, but you have to get it right because it's very easy to be like, okay, it's good enough. You know, we spent two weeks on this. Let's just Let's just put it out there. It's 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 90% there, right? Yeah, sure. You have to get it to 100% or you have to get it to 100% within the parameters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just so important and like this is going on with us right now. So as another example to our listeners, I wanted to talk about how important user experience is that if you're a developer and you're going to do an app and you know it's not right or not complete, don't say, oh, I'll get to it later. It's just like you talked about last week with code debt. It's only going to get worse the longer you put it off. And 
if your users see a bad experience or something's not right, it may never get adopted fully to where you'll ever do it because you may kill the project because you think it's a flop because no one liked it because it wasn't right. Sure, absolutely. And that's it. Yeah, and in fact, you know, in if, if there's something that isn't quite right yet, you're probably better off killing it often than either kill it or get it right. Well, I know a story of, of someone who had an app, and it was a good app. It was actually a really good app. It had done well. Then certain things came up and didn't really spend a lot of time on it, this person. And then they kind of just left it alone. And then it eventually died. And then because of it dying, because they didn't spend any time on it, they eventually killed it. Mm-hmm. And I really kind of, I, I'd given this person some input, but I also felt so bad because it was like you had a self-fulfilling prophecy of this app having to be canceled because you canceled it when you stopped working on it. You canceled it when you stopped supporting it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's yeah, sort he of made an expect- that decision himself. That's right. He, he didn't make the decision. He, if I had said to him at that time, because I did, hey, you killing your app? Oh, no, I'm just going to put it. I'm, I'm just not going to give it as much attention. It's like, no, you're killing your app. If you're not going to give it as much attention, then your users are not going to get as much attention. They're not going to buy it. You know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. have to put something in to get something out. Absolutely. Yep. And that, that all comes back to user experience, right? The user mm-hmm. experience is if you're not doing updates and you're not maintaining the app, Guess what the user experience is? Oh, this app is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think that's you know something that hopefully someone will take something away from. Nothing counts like shipping. So you know our advice though can seem contradictory. We we say hey you have to get this perfect. Also you have to keep shipping updates. Absolutely. Actually, and that's my biggest the, question. That balancing act is just part of the art of of developing software. The tight wire rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it always no, no, it's the tight wire act. Yeah, no, the biggest question I get when I speak at conferences at the end when people come up to me for Q&A is, well, you said the UI has to be great. You said the icon has to be great. You said you have to polish everything, but then you said real art is ship. So which is it? Yeah, it's both. It's both, exactly. And the thing is, is you have to ship eventually, but if you've taken a year working on something or even a year and a half and you don't have it to a good enough point in a year and a half, then you've been doing something wrong the year, past year and a half. Let's face it. Yeah, that's you've, probably true. You, you've, um, you've, you may have made decisions. There might decisions. be exceptions, but yeah. Sure, sure, sure. No, no, yeah. and I understand. My, my thing is you might have made course changes. You might have said, oh, I'm going in the wrong direction for six months. I have to change. I have no problems with that. If you're doing something wrong, it's easier to admit or it's better to admit you're doing something wrong. Pick yourself up and move on, right? Mm-hmm. But you'll see a lot of developers, I'm sure you see the same, That'll be doing something for a year, a year and a half. They haven't shipped it, but they think they're going in the same direction as a year and a half ago because they won't admit they were wrong. Mm, right. And it's, or they believe that, well, I've spent all this time. I better exactly. finish it now. I can't give up now. It's a year and a half. No, I, I think you'll agree with me. If it's a year and a half and you're in the wrong direction, even if you've done the year and a half, you throw it away if it's wrong. You, you have to, yeah. You have yeah. to. And that's, Just because that, the, I think, actually is part of the those art. costs. Well, they're sunk exactly. either way. You need to do what's right now exactly and you're going to waste more time trying to ship something that will become a flop and put more energy and actually have more frustration and like misery out of the out of it once it ships and it's going to be a failure anyway and then you'll probably turn to drink and maybe hard drugs and you know that your life is pretty much over i'm not going to make a comment there (laughs) there's a few i could make but i won't make them (laughs) So, yeah, I think I think what it really boils down to and, you know, we'll talk a lot about this more on future episodes. But in terms of user experience, I I hope the takeaway at least uh, people get out of this for today is that user experience is much more than just user interface. It's much more than just pixels. It's much more than polish. It's also things like the registration process if you're not on the Mac App Store or 
things like the positioning of the message or positioning of the title or positioning of the app. It's it's everything. It's the sum of the parts. It's even the support after the app ships and how well you reply to your customers and treat them after the fact. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Support is support is huge. Uh, the web log for your app, the website, all your marketing. Yep, exactly, and exactly. Everything is everything. part of user experience. Everything is user experience. I think that's uh, that's really the best sum of this, right? Everything mm-hmm. is user experience. Maybe that's our title then. I think we've got our title. Cool. So yeah, and I, I think it's really easy to overlook and think user experience is just a visual thing, is just a interaction thing. Right, yeah, not true at all. No, not at all. So... um think that's about it for now what uh what any any other any other quick things you want to add or hmm oh i'll be speaking at coco conference in portland in october very nice um that's an upcoming thing for me you got the url for that i think it's uh cococonf.com is that right that sounds right yep there it is c-o-c-o-a-c-o-n-f.com and uh that's october 25th to the 27th I'm also Brent's manager, so I keep track of the schedule. <laughs> I'll give you 10% of my lavish speaking fee. I will take it. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's in Portland, the 25th to the 27th. And um, yeah, with Brent speaking there, if you're in the area or going to be somewhat nearby, you better go because he is the man. I think my topic is going to be 100 ways not to be sloppy. Hmm. And I'm thinking I'm, I think I'm on the schedule after dinner. So that means I can be kind of, um, I don't have to be hardcore technical or anything. It can just be kind of more fun talk. I don't want to be negative, but if you have a hundred ways to be sloppy, aren't you by virtue sloppy? Because you have a hundred ways. I guess that's good though. A hundred ways not to be sloppy. A hundred ways not to be sloppy. That other people might occasionally be sloppy. Well, then yes, you should. not to do them. Well, then you should definitely have at least 100 ways. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Probably I'm going to title it 100 ways not to be sloppy and then sloppily only have like 79 ways, but whatever. Perfect. But don't, don't, don't tell anyone that. Well, I'll have, I'll have to make a joke out of it at least. At the end, though, at the end. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, at the very end. And uh, do, you, do you, I'm not on that list, am I, hopefully? Uh, on the list of, of sloppy people? Sl- yeah, sloppy things you've seen, I hope. No, no, no. Nothing from you. No. Okay, good. good. Mostly all from me, actually. <laughs> I mean, well, because you learn over time. Like, oh, you know. So it's just mainly about stuff I've learned. I'll slip up eventually. Don't you worry. Oh, actually, <laughs> so, so just a few more minutes, if you don't mind. I actually, I actually, I was thinking about user experience. I wanted to bring one fantastic Hal thing in there. Um, so you've seen our first run experience, right? Yeah. And we debated so much on whether or not we have a first run experience. Like... You know, there's, there's the belief if you have to have a first-run experience, you're doing it wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the preferences discussion. If, if, if you have to have preferences, you're doing it wrong. But, right. of course, there's a time and a place for preferences, right? Sorry, you just have to have them for certain things. Mm-hmm. But for the first-run experience, we really, really labored and sweat and spent so many hours and stressed over every detail of what do we do? Like, what, what do we have to do? And basically what it boiled down to is, the things the user would have to do anyway to set up the app, right? So which calendar app are they using? Do they want it to load in? Do they want it to automatically load at login? Because obviously some people want it, some people don't. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's basically it, right? We have, depending on if you have multiple calendars, you may have to do something with a keychain and accept that, which again, that's during there. But the point is, we knew these users were going to have to do this anyway. So we technically aren't making them do more than they wouldn't. 
So in that essence, it's not a first run of something that is gratuitous. And I think it's kind of important that if you're going to have users set stuff up anyway, do it in a way that's packaged to make them have a better experience doing it. But don't put in a first run that's just there to kind of either promote the app or clarify something that you really should have done a better job clarifying by having a better user interface. Yeah, I would agree with that in general. Um, my tendency would still be to avoid having a first run experience, but I've done it in my own apps when needed. It's yeah, and believe it's me, we we thing, wanted yeah. to. We really we did everything we could to avoid it. Mm -hmm. But the issue was is if you didn't have these certain things set up, things wouldn't happen, which means support, which means frustration, which means not using the app. Right. So there there's certainly, and I'm making it clear, I'm always against first run if you can avoid it, but. A perfect example, I think, is that it's not one size fits all. Sometimes you need a first run experience. But yeah. if you have it, you should definitely do it in an interactive way where the user isn't like, oh, let's get to the app already. Because that's our biggest concern, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to use the app. I don't want to go through four steps or three steps. I want to use the app. End of story. Absolutely. So, I think when I'm thinking about um, an app, I'm thinking about how do I get the person who's uh, on my web page and they've just downloaded the app. And my goal is to get them from uh, double-clicking the app to launch it and to the first time they're delighted by the app. I want that time span to be as small and easy as possible. Yeah, And that's, exactly. that's the reason to be, in general, against first-run experiences. But like you said, if you, you can't get to that delightful experience at all unless you've set a few things up, well, then you absolutely have to do that first-run experience. Exactly. The, the problem that we're trying to solve with calendaring, you may have multiple calendar apps, whether it be BusyCal or iCal, Calendar, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You have to pick the calendar app, the default calendar app that you use, because we don't know. You might be using iCal or Calendar and BusyCal, right? Or whatever. So we had to say, which default calendar app do you use? And so on and so forth, because otherwise it would be an unknown experience. Mm -hmm. And you're, in essence, with our first run, you're educating the user on these things. So... It was a double, basically it was a double solution. You're helping them set up and you're explaining to them what it is and it's stuff they'd have to do anyway. So we ended up saying we're going to do it and we've gotten great feedback on it. So we think we made the right decision. In fact, I would cool. say I know we made the right decision. Yeah, but absolutely the reason why I brought it up is first run experiences can also be bad, right? Which mm -hmm. are the reasons that you gave. So I don't think, I think another point of user experience is one size does not fit all ever. Yeah, that's right. So if you have a favorite app written by somebody else, don't just try to essentially copy the entire flow because Amen. Uh, it won't necessarily make sense for your app. Amen. And that's the thing, you know, the whole argument and debate with the Samsung Apple thing has been about the whole great artist steal and Steve Jobs saying great artist steal and you know, everything going on, which obviously great artist steal is even a stolen quote. But here's the deal. If you're going to steal, understand what you're stealing and improve on it. Mm -hmm. If you steal ad hoc, you're going to make some huge mistakes because you truly don't understand what was going on. Right. Yep. Stealing is fine if you're going to improve it, right? If you're going to mix it up and, 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 and make it better. Everyone's stolen something. I mean, you should steal stuff. Good ideas are meant to be stolen, again, if you're using them appropriately and you improve them. Yeah, we all st stand on the shoulders of giants. That's right. Even code that we use, right? We reuse other people's open source libraries, right? Granted, it's not stolen. We try not to, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they've given us permission, so in a sense, it's not stolen. But 
it's still an idea that's better or something that's written already that you can use that makes your life better or mm-hmm. your app time spent developing better. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to bring up the first run thing just because I think that's one of those situations where a user experience, we so didn't want to do it. And I think it's actually better we did it. And I think by questioning it so much, we ended up with a better first run experience. You have to question every every word, every pixel, every part of those things. Well, like the rest of your app. Yeah, well, like 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 everything we do every day. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, okay, well, I think unless uh, you have anything else, I think we'll... Uh, We'll wrap it up for oh, today. Oh yeah, I do have some, I do have something. Uh, I think oh, a short oh. thing. This yeah, just astounded me. You probably saw this where uh, Rim was offering for people who write BlackBerry apps. If you make a thousand dollars, they'll give you ten thousand dollars. Oh my God! Or, no, wait, I did not see this. Are you kidding? Yeah. So, well, I think it was a ten thousand dollar guarantee. If you make a thousand dollars, they will give you whatever difference it is between what you made and $10,000. But what if you only make $50? So if you made $5,000, they'll give you an extra $5,000. What if you only make 50, like $50? Is there a minimum that you have to make to qualify? Well, you have to you have to make $1,000 to qualify. So right there, right? Now we can debate why. Why does it have to be a minimum to qualify? Because they're basically saying if you don't make that minimum, then your app was already shitty anyway? I guess so. Well, it prevents me from writing some piece of crap that doesn't even sell more than one copy. Oh, and just get, get 10 grand for 10 no reason. Grand, right? Right. So you have to make an app that does some decent baseline to show that it's a legitimate app. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. But well, what I'm thinking still about weird. This and what struck me right away was, okay, $10,000. And that would pay for what? A nice first run experience and, and that's it, basically. <laughs> I mean, software <laughs> development is, is expensive. And the oh, kind yeah. of attention to detail the user experience that you need to have $10,000 isn't going to come close to uh, to remaking your investment on a really good app. Absolutely. And I just Actually, found that offer incredibly condescending. As, condescending as if, and out of touch with what they expect. So, okay, the guarantee is 10000 So what are they saying? That's pretty much all you'll make on an app, right? Like, yeah. So well, let's say they didn't yeah. have the guarantee. What are they saying? The baseline developer makes ten grand. mm hmm because I don't know about you, but uh, even when I was single and you know having having a limited budget, I still couldn't live off of ten grand. No, God, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is what you said about like even a first run experience. So Kent and I, two guys, right? We we wrote Fantastical. It took about a year, a little bit over a year, to write that app, right? Mm-hmm. So that's two guys, two uh, two years, we'll say two man years, right? Yeah. We had contractors because we hired someone to do the design with us and mm-hmm. we hired someone to do the icon and we had expenses of our website. You know, you know how it goes, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. just to just to just to go through everything on and on other expenses. We had expenses to set up our business. We had expenses for our electricity and our computers and on and on and on. All right. Mm-hmm. But the two of us minimally, even if we got the lowest salaries ever of what a developer or a a designer business guy like myself would make. Let's say we even said, fine, you know, we'd be, we could live off of 50 grand a year, 40 grand a year, whatever you do, right? You just mm-hmm. pick some crazy low salary off of a salary.com website. That's still like 80K between the two of us, right? Yeah. So let's say I was a single developer. Okay, fine. It would have taken me two years to write that app, but you still have the same 80K, right? Yep. 10K to go back to what you said, 10K uh-huh. for 80K to make an app. Yeah. 
So an app minimally, and that, that's actually this topic we can talk about in the future. You know, what what's involved in making an app, and how what's the true cost of building an app? We could probably dissect that and talk about that in a future episode. I think that would be interesting. Let's do that next time. I think it's a great topic. Yeah, the, dissecting an app will be our next next uh, next Let's episode. Let's get into the economics. It is far more expensive to write software than most people think. Oh, it most, is. Most of our listeners are probably developers, and they know damn well how much it costs. But still, and if they cover. don't, if they don't, I, we we want them to know because there's there's also like invisible costs or invisible pricing. So a developer might say, "Oh yeah, well it's only seven months of my time. I mean, my time's free." No, it's not. Your time, you could be making X an hour if you contract it out, or if you had a job with Apple or Google or whatever. Like your time is not free. You have opportunity costs that are expensive. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of developers actually who go indie forget that because they go, oh well, I don't really have any expenses. It's just my time. Yeah, right. I've already got a computer. I'll just sit here. Exactly. Now, yeah. if you if you know you're going to write an app and and be successful, then yeah, that time is free because you're basically investing something to get back later. But no one's app is guaranteed a success, no matter who you are. End of story. That's right. And anybody doing the doing the books would say this app isn't profitable until it's paid you back for those seven months or whatever it took i remember when fantastic how launched and obviously we did really well we got featured and we were on the charts i remember being like wow money's coming in and i remember then looking oh wait a minute we still have this much to make until we're break even mm-hmm. yeah and it, it it takes a long time i mean it's not just like overnight you get paid back and that's the other thing right you put a year in so between the two of us Let's even say our real costs should be like a hundred grand each or whatever, two hundred grand, what's the real cost of our opportunity time? Well now all of a sudden you have to make back two hundred grand before you even break even. You're not making two hundred grand back right away. You know how long this stuff takes. It takes so, a while, yeah. So you've put a you put two years in between the two of you to take almost a year plus whatever to get it back. You know what I mean? It's just it it's it the, the economics you yes, you do know this. The economics are really very complicated. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But they can work if you have a successful app and you do really good stuff and you have really good user experience and really good marketing. And yeah, I think we can touch on that next time and talk yeah. about the life cycle of development and how uh, how much it really kind of costs dissecting the app development time cost factor, blah, 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 blah. Yes, yes. We will sound like very intelligent people who understand numbers. Yes, and we could say a lot of blah, 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 blah. And then people, people will not know what we're saying and think we're intelligent. I just want to be able to talk about standard deviations. Oh, yeah. And, I don't and, even know and, what they and are. What about like curves, the charts? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just different kinds of curves, like Laffer curves. You just have to bring up curves and like uh, The Laffer curve, f- one of my favorite curves. Exactly. So you have well to- named. Of course, now we're back to <laughs> politics. Yeah, well, okay. So is, is that, does that mean it's a wrap? I think we're done, yep. Whenever politics comes up, you just end it because it's the best way out. <laughs> it's like, well, can't possibly talk about politics. So, yeah. No, no, no. Done. So, Brent, it's been a pleasure again. Great talking to you, Michael. Yeah, and uh, we'll do it again very soon. And uh, looking forward to many more. Yeah, cool. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll, uh, we'll hopefully talk with you again soon. Goodbye, people. Kathy adores a menuet 
the ballet room and crepe Suzette. Our Patty loves to rock and roll. A hot dog makes her lose control. What a wild duet. Alike. At times they even talk alike You can lose your 